Put down your pens, put down your pencil, step away from the keyboard, and settle in for this week's episode of The Writer's Block. First and foremost, allow me to thank uh, Don and Sally Wright, because you come before everything else, and uh, Muddied Waters Media for allowing me to do this show, as well as Grassroots Kava House for the kava that I drank on this and pretty much every episode of The Writer's Block. To all above, Bula Vanaka. Also, allow me to thank the Narcissist Cookbook for allowing me to use the uh, music at the beginning and the end of every episode. And, yeah, you're just an all-around great guy. Go to his YouTube channel. Check out his uh, completely legal reading of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's fantastic. Um, today, I have on my good buddy, Matt Matthew Parks. I'm used to calling you Matt. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I've got my good buddy Matthew Parks on. He is the owner of Bobsy Studios, who happens to host our website. And a uh, great marketing agency. He's a crypto enthusiast and an advocate for online privacy. Matthew, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, I'm definitely excited. Long-time listener, so uh, excited to finally be on. Yeah, I, I think you have actually been listening since like week one. I've had to, just for the website. And right. Like that. <laughs> but no, I absolutely love it. It's definitely grown uh, over the time, and... Really excited to see where it's going. And oh yeah, we've been massive amount of growth recently. It's been absolutely wonderful, fantastic, and uh, you know a lot of that comes from uh, the good core of people that we have working with us. And then you know just the the website's freaking great. Oh thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm definitely excited to see you know what you're growing into. I know we've talked about some of the stuff that you want to do right in uh, 2019. So I'm really excited to see you know how fast your your audience is growing and and how much more engaged they're being. And 
I mean, it's hard to do a podcast, you know, like in marketing, I obviously see a lot of people try different projects. So the fact that you have traction and your audience just keeps growing. Right. That's it, a beautiful sign. I mean, the, the just vast amount of like shit posting that we do really helps, but oh, yeah. it is bringing more and the more people. Are Oh the yeah, the, me- the memes are great. Yeah, the memes there, are great. There's memes that you guys post. I'm not even sure if I should like actually like it from my account. Like I didn't post it, but just liking the meme alone, I'm like, hmm, this might be this might be too much. Right. So, <laughs> sometimes I'll leave it on the table, but a lot of it I have to like. Yeah, we um, yeah, Spike Cohen who does he makes a lot of our original content. He has just been crushing it recently, and with uh, Jesse Smollett. He he has been going after him so hard, and it has just been it's been amazing to watch. That's awesome. But um, so the reason you're actually going to be the first person that does uh, actually you, you're probably the second person that's not going to just be Matthew Parks gets writer's block. Like most of the people that come on, that's what the title of the episode is. You're going to be like the first or second person. I think the first one was my week one, and then I started doing the regular format. But you're going to be uh, the first person who doesn't have uh, Matthew Parks's as Matthew Parks gets writer's block as a title. Mm. Instead, you wanted the title to be what? I totally would download a car. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I totally would download a car, and uh, I was like, "Yeah, I'm totally good with that being the title. I'll make yeah. it that absolutely." Um, so, you like you like we said, you're an advocate for online privacy. Now. How does that work into you would totally download a car? Well, you know, so, I mean, I definitely believe in freedom of information. And, unfortunately, you know, more and more we're seeing the web and the open web be challenged. Um, you know, as a marketing agency and as a, as a web design agency, especially, you know, it makes it even harder because we're sitting there making those experiences that coach people onto platforms. And, you know, so over the years I've seen multiple different things happen. There's been a few times where, you know, different, um, like Aaron Shorts, I'm sure you're familiar with him, right. uh, ended up hanging himself in, you know, in jail. And uh, the reason he went to jail in the first place was for trying to open up thousands of textbooks to people who couldn't afford that private university education. Right. And, you know, there's definitely value. That was a MIT, right? Yeah. yeah. And so it's one of those things that, you know, Information, I get it. There's value behind it. But we already live in a time and an era where we can pay and contribute to somebody based off the value that we perceive. You know, we get Netflix that way. We get um, housing that way. If you look at Airbnb. Right. There's no reason that, you know, if somebody can't afford a $80,000 a year, you know, university tuition, they shouldn't be able to access that information. Even if it's on a payment subscription, anything like that. You know, Aaron Schwartz tried to open that up, um, you know, completely free. And I, I personally agree with that. But, you know, that's definitely something that we're seeing challenged today and every facet of, you know, online tracking, um, web development standards where we're kind of locking ourselves into what Google wants. So everyone else is getting less and less say and they can really force the whole direction of the web. Um, and we've already seen that happen a few times. And, you know, as we go further down this uh, road of being, you know, really uh attached to our technology and really now we depend on it so much that if it were to go away like go away all of our lives would suffer because of that so as we go further down that route it's more and more important that we mind you know who owns this information who can distribute it how does it get out there and what's the contingency plan if that company turns evil you know google used to have in their terms of service you know we won't we will not do any evil and they erased it i believe in 2016 just miraculously from the top wow, of their that's... terms of service so that, yeah, that's for Google. Yeah, like Google and Amazon both are 
they're building a surveillance state. It's a privatized surveillance state that you are actually opting into every time that you buy a Google product or you know buy you know an Alexa or anything like that. And that's actually when um, I just forgot the name of uh, the 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 Amazon owner. Uh, Jeff Bezos. Thank you, Jeff Bezos. And when Jeff Bezos was going off on uh, the FBI and the CIA about creating this state, a lot of people hit him on it, and they were like, "This is exactly what you're doing. You you are downloading and collecting all of this data." Um, and I, it's not, it's obviously not safe. People have been sent the wrong Alexa conversations that have been recording, and yeah. your private information is actually going out into. Uh, yeah, it's not as safe as you want to be, and it's going out to just random people at times. So what would you do in order to protect this from happening? Well, you know, there's um, the long battle is that we we are always trading convenience for privacy. You know, so now I can have, you know, one email on my phone, and that also is my calendar. It's also a form of social media. If you look at Google+, Plus, even though it was a failure. Right. Um, Google Hangouts, I can talk to my entire team and all my employees just over my phone using one login, one password. So it's super convenient. And what we've always done is trade convenience for privacy. And so I think it's about making responsible decisions in terms of like where you sort. Like So for instance, if you need email, you know, Gmail is an option, absolutely. Are they going to resell your data? Absolutely. absolutely. And you have to know that. And if you're willing to make that trade and you say, okay, well, there's nothing I don't want them knowing, that's fine. You know, um, If you want or you desire privacy, you know, something like ProtonMail, is completely private, completely, you know, you have to pay for an account, but once you pay for that account, they're not reselling your data. Everything's fully secure. It actually isn't even kept on their servers. So it's one of those things that you can make that decision. They don't have nearly as many features. You can't do as much convenience, but if that's what you value is having that privacy, you know, so be it. Right. I think that we've, for a long time, been in this trend of like, okay, well, you know, I'm not a serial killer. I'm not, you know, a murderer. I'm not moving drugs on the dark net. I don't care if Google has access to this kind of information. Right. It, um, the uh, the fallacy of if you're doing nothing wrong, you don't have anything to worry about. Exactly. Right. And, you know, now what's happened is like the user targeting can be so specific now that uh, 23 uh, and me and like the informed DNA, all those different, you know, projects that we're seeing now where you can go and get a DNA test. Well, they just decided to start selling that data over to you know agencies over to marketing firms stuff like that but you know where's the line in the sand where they start saying okay well you know we have your search history on google we know that you passively do drugs you know we look in your dna we see that you have a 35 percent chance of you know inheriting cancer from your predisposition in your bloodline we're not going to insure you and in fact your kids will never be able to get insurance because we've already calculated that their risk will increase based off your husband's dna right so you know We've kind of already gone too far in terms of like setting a line in the sand and saying, okay, now we're, do we're done. Right. Um, now it's just a matter of people making responsible decisions in terms of who they do business with. You know, everyone could, we could do to Google or we could do to Gmail exactly what Facebook did to MySpace. You know, it's about where the users go. It's just about people valuing privacy more than they value that convenience. And if you do, eventually these big companies, they will make privacy centric and also feature robust, you know, software tools, email, things like that. Because they're going to want that market share. They want that money. So if, if they figure out the future is, okay, I have to just charge people $10 a month and not sell all their data, and that's the only way we're going to keep growing as a business, you know, they will turn their head eventually. Right. It's like we all know that Google tracks, you know, all of, all of our searching data. Like anything that we search in, in on Google, like they've got a backup. They know oh, yeah. that it's us. Um, I... Uh, 
I, I jumped on the Duck Duck Go train for a little bit, and you know it's it's a you know it's a search it's a search browser that doesn't uh, store any of your data, but unfortunately the searches from it kind of suck. Yeah, like you don't get the same results that you do from uh, Google or even Yahoo or I don't know if Bing is still a thing, but Bing's never been a thing. Well, <laughs> I just want to go on record on, a, on on somewhere in media and say Bing was never a thing. That's fair. Um, <laughs> But you don't get the same kind of results. Like you, you got to do some serious searching in order to find what it is you're looking for. And I think a lot of people are afraid that by switching to something else, you're going to end up with these issues. And that would be my main concern. Well, you know, so and obviously it's a newer platform. So I don't know when you went to DuckDuckGo. They've been around for a really long time. Yeah, they've been around for um, a while. I used to use DuckDuckGo with a browser called Ice Weasel, which was a specific version of um, Firefox meant for Kali Linux. Um, open source project, so you could look at the code yourself, see what exactly oh, is going I, on. In the ice Weasel, Firefox, yep. got it. And that um, makes sense. but you know, something that I would definitely want to plug um, would be uh, it's called Brave Browser. So it's actually built on top of Chromium. They took all the little tracking parts out of Chrome. It's the same features. You can add extensions. You can do everything that you can do on a regular Chrome browser. Um, you can go and sign up for an email account. You can actually get shown ads so instead of google showing you ads or facebook showing you ads people within the brave network can actually bid on that space and you can set what you want to get paid to see an ad you can say i don't want to see any ad for less than a dollar but then the advertiser is negotiating directly with how much you want to get paid to be shown an ad so every time you get shown an ad you're actually making money and that's through cryptocurrency so you're taking the middleman out it's directly between the advertiser and the, the recipient of the ad to dictate, this is what my attention is worth. The recipient, like, so the recipient of the ad being, like, me, the viewer. The, like, the end user, yeah, okay. absolutely. So you can you can say, you know, my bid's $10 each, you're never going to see any ads. Right. You could say, you know, $0.04 cents each, and you're probably going to see a ton of ads, but you'll make money faster than the guy that says $0.02 cents each. You know, so it's really about the browsing experience and what you're okay letting in. Right. But the fact is that you have a full, very feature-robust browser that you can completely keep everything out. And that's really the big differentiator between that and like regular Chrome. Gotcha. And I mean, I'm I'm not a fan of Chrome anyway, like personally, because it just uses too much of my memory space. So like, especially when I'm doing something like this, where I, especially when I'm live streaming, of course, I, I will not use Chrome because it just slows everything down way too much. Like I usually use Safari right now, mm. but um, with like, and especially with Safari, they. They they promise that none of your search history will go to Facebook. They promise like you won't see the ads for what you search for on Amazon on Facebook if you do it through Safari, or at least that's what they say. Um, I still think that Facebook listens to me and they know what I'm looking for anyway. Yeah, of course. Right, <laughs> but uh, you know some people are like that's just a crazy uh, that's just a crazy theory. But we all talk about it. Well, I mean so. You know, I guess um, segueing into that, you know, from a marketing standpoint, it's really easy to optimize now for voice search. Right. You can do voice retargeting as well. So it's really easy for me to say I want to target people. Let's say I sold, you know, uh, portable to go Kava, right? So I could say, you know, let me start optimizing some of my retargeting ads for only people who have talked about or expressed interest in shopping for to go Kava solutions. Right. And you know, maybe not as many searches as going after like just straight text queries or SEO on like a traditional search. Um, but voice search is becoming more and more prevalent and it's starting to become a bigger focus for us as marketers. So 
to say that Facebook isn't listening, Google's not listening yet, yeah, absolutely. That's how that's how ads are getting more effective. And most people aren't noticing it because we're just showing you things that are closer to what you actually want. Right. You know, so it's not that bad of an experience, but again, it's trading that privacy for convenience. It's like you were telling me, um, because you were giving me kind of tips on how to increase, uh, you know, viewership and increase uh, our SEO and that kind of stuff. And you said to uh, see if we could get transcripts made of Mm. every podcast and put it on, put it on the uh, website. Um, And you said that because we would say things in there like, trying to think of how you phrased it natural natural yeah, nat- uh, vena- uh, vernacular and right. natural vocabulary you you know you would never go to google and type in you know uh best mexican restaurant st petersburg florida three three you know whatever right you, you just wouldn't you would say you know hey what's the best mexican restaurant near us right now that's open right and so by optimizing for some of those more obscure searches that you actually get way more um organic and way more qualified traffic than just going for some kind of keyword so, um, you know, what I was pretty much telling you is like by doing that transcription, when Google goes and scores your website and sees those pages, when it takes those transcripts, it's not going to hit many like, hey, I'm going to go on Google and type something in for a search. But when somebody's sitting there talking to their phone and saying, you know, hey, best podcast for this kind of subject matter, you know, you are way more likely to come up because you're going to speak the exact same way that they're probably speaking when they're doing that query. Right. Um, you were also telling like a lot of the stuff that. Over the last, especially the last couple of weeks, uh, since we've been kind of talking about this a little bit more, um, a lot of the stuff you've been telling me just kind of blew my mind. It's like if you're trying to expand on your business, uh, so like if I'm trying to expand Muddied Waters of Freedom, I don't want to always tag Muddied Waters of Freedom and check in here, but I want to check in to St. Pete or to Gulfport or to uh, Florida or whatever, just to expand on the reach that just the podcast get. Uh, what you? It's called geo. Um, I said geofencing. 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 So, like, you know, if you, let's say Muddy Waters was a building and every day you're checking in at Muddy Waters and checking in, you know, the people that come to Muddy Waters, the people that are, you know, in the immediate, like, area or, you know, neighborhood, if you would, will probably start seeing a little bit of your content. But, you know, when you start saying, okay, you know, what's my greater sense of community and how do I connect to those? So, for instance, let's say, you know, we were sitting in the middle of downtown St. Pete. Maybe you tag one of, like, the areas, historic old downtown St. Petersburg, you know. Or maybe you tag, um, for instance, we have the Grand Prix coming here, the Formula One. Right, yeah, That's yeah, like yeah, not NASCAR. It's like yeah, not the redneck one. It's yeah, the nice, you know, it's, rich, it's, rich it, Euro one. Yeah, but, it, um, it, it's the other one that people still get drunk at and act like a fool. Absolutely. Right. Um, so the F1 whatever race is coming here. And, you know, so maybe you check in at that. You know, there'd be thousands of people here that are searching that, looking that up. You know, Google's smart enough to know, hey, you have a ticket to this. Hey, you're looking for this. Maybe this is something that's a little more relevant. Um, it's just going to broaden your, like, awareness, and you kind of get this bubbling effect of, you know, okay, you're talking about it over here, talking about it on a neighborhood level. You're mentioning it in a couple community pages that are relevant to your neighborhood or, like, to your industry or niche. And you kind of use that to create the traffic and kind of the white noise about your brand. Um, it's just way more effective than, you know, just sitting there tagging your business or your location every single day. Right. Yeah. That, and it totally made like, when you said that, I was like, that totally makes sense. I can't believe that that's not a more commonly done thing. Um, well, Facebook makes money by you not knowing that. That's also fair. You know, so the, the more you sponsor content and you don't know how to target properly or you don't know how to get the most, uh, hardcore, it's called a customer avatar, um, in my world. But so, you know, when you have a customer avatar and you're, you're trying to say like, okay, who's my dream customer? If I could pick one type of person, like, you know, what, 
what would they walk in? What would they spend as a customer? How would they, how would they be? What kind of demographic would they be from? Are they more professional? Are they more college-aged? Um, you can really craft your, your perfect customer. And when you start you know, trying to reach out to that person, it's, it's something that, you know, yeah, you can sit there and try to work on it, work on it, work on it. But at the end of the day, the accuracy that you're going to get to isn't that profitable for Facebook. And that's what you need to bet on as a business owner. But when they can bill you on pretty much, hey, we're going to bill you instead of just billing you when every single time you show an ad and then they actually stop in store and they come inside and they actually buy something. And I can prove that they, they came to your area and bought this. We're just going to bill you every time we show it to somebody. It's super cheap. Look how cheap it is. We're just going to show it to a whole bunch of people. Right. But then you go through your entire advertising budget and you're not targeting that ideal customer avatar. It's just a general shotgun in the dark, if you would. And so you're going to spend that money way faster. You're going to get way less leads or way less results. And in turn, you're going to be probably turned off a little bit by advertising, but everyone keeps telling you that you need to do it. So you're going to keep trying. And that's where Facebook makes most of its money. It'd rather mail you $100 free coupons once a month to let you know, hey, do another ad. Do, do another, another ad. Because they know yeah. that you don't know what you're doing. So yeah. to them, it's free money because you have to spend another 100 to, to get the 100 for free. Yeah, so when we first started Muddied Wires of Freedom, you know, what, two, two years ago plus, um, we were getting those. They were like, you know, here's 10 bucks for ads. Here's 10 bucks for ads. Here's 10 bucks for ads. And we tried them out for a little bit, but we nothing ever came from it. Yeah. And that's because at the time we didn't know what we were doing. I mean, I, I still don't know what I'm doing. But, um, like, what you've been telling me, I've been like, oh, man, this makes a lot more sense. I should be doing these things in order to kind of push it out a little bit more to a wider audience of people who don't know me, um, who have the same beliefs as me, but they've just never, they've yet to find me. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I've, uh, like, the stuff that I've been learning recently has just been absolutely incredible. Um, so, recently, a big thing that happened in the news, I believe end of last year-ish, uh, 3D printed guns yep. that hit the news, and everybody was sharing that link that went around. And you Cody could, Wilson. Cody Wilson. Yep. Um, yeah, Cody Wilson's link. Uh, what's funny is uh, Spike, the co-host of Muddied Waters of Freedom with me, he shared... Or he made a post and it said, "Here are the links," and he put all the links in, and then he put a number of um, he put a number of emojis at the end, and people started sharing his. He ended up getting kicked off of Facebook for a few days for it, I think. Um, but people started sharing his, and he knew that because of the emojis that he put in at the end, because people were people had screenshot it and were just sharing the picture, so the links weren't in there, so they couldn't just remove the links. That's smart. Um, and then eventually the pictures were just being taken down. But every time he saw it, he knew that it was his because of the emojis that he threw in at the end. Mm. Um, now, personally, and I think you believe the same, I'm not 100% sure, but personally, I think that this is a free speech issue as well as a Second Amendment issue. Uh, I don't think that this should be something that... Uh, did Cody Wilson go to jail? Um, no, I mean, his website got taken back down. So he, he was in court for a while, um, fought to, to get his website back up. The, the judge actually ruled that it was completely legal for him to have the site up. And they had a giant countdown. They boasted not just the Liberator, which that's the one that really made him famous, was the single shot meant to uh, the anti-dictator, if you would, right. uh, pistol. Right, right. Um, and then from there, he came out with an AK-47, a shotgun kind of a, a um, solution, a few different guns that he pretty much promised, hey, these are going to also be released when we relaunch the site. 
um, about seven hours before the site was scheduled to go up and launch. Um, another judge, I guess, over you know, superseded the the prior and said, okay, no, this this is taken back down. This isn't legal. Um, which he's going to continue to fight. And there's plenty of people that are supporting him, uh, plenty of people that are donating money to him. Uh, he was very smart in taking cryptocurrency donations. So a lot of people that happen to you know, be very anti-government or at least anti-government uh, towards you know, Second Amendment um, exercising the right to either let us bear arms or try to come and take them. Right. Uh, most of those people also are pretty big anti-Fed. So they, they invested pretty heavily into crypto and... That's really what I think helped him out a lot. Um, I think that multiple gun agencies across the country, and by that I mean like the you know NRA stuff like that, um, they kind of they kind of didn't know where to stand with it. They want to stand with it because the two F is kind of a Second Amendment issue, but at the same time, I don't think anyone understood it enough to really get behind it and say so, you know, this is. So like the NRA, they actually didn't back it. They said that they were fine really? with it. Yeah, they said that they were fine with a ban on three uh, D printed guns. Hmm. Um, and that one, I think the NRA has no spine. So I think that made perfect sense on that reason. And, uh, also they get most of their money. They get their money from, uh, the people who, uh, the donors who pay in and, you know, you get your subscription to the NRA, but they also get it from gun manufacturers. So they didn't want to step on the toes of the gun manufacturers who are like, no, we don't want this to happen. Like, this hurts our bottom line, which, yes, it does, mm -hmm. you know, for one bullet, because from what I understand is these guns didn't last longer than a single shot. They were like... The original version was PLA plastic, and it was a very dense PLA plastic. So, yeah, the, the Liberator was supposed to be a single shot, you know, take somebody out that, that you know, is in, a, is in a position that, you know, having that person removed could really benefit your, your oppressed country. Um, that was that was the mentality behind that. Right. It wasn't meant to be a submachine gun or, you know, an assault rifle, anything like that. Um, you know, what we've seen since then is, you know, 3D printing has dramatically increased. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm very into 3D printing. And, right. Um, just over the years, you know, a few years ago, we were just printing in plastic. And now we can print in wood. We can print in metal. We can print in composites that are a mixture of the two. Um, somebody I just saw the other day was now printing in a rubber that is pretty much like uh, an elastic. Okay. You can stretch it multiple different directions. So like the, the application for that all of a sudden in like human prosthetics and stuff like that becomes really interesting. It's super durable, you know, super solid, super stretchy, doesn't wear down, doesn't crack. It's, it's super porous. And, but at the same time, while it's porous in terms of like a molecular structure, so it can kind of stretch. It's not porous in the sense that, okay, well, it's, it's exposed on the outside. It's still melted and kind of fused together. So when it does, you know, it keeps water and, and debris, stuff like that out. So as materials keep getting better, you know, now people are print, able to print in steel. People are able to print in metal composites. So some of those guns that, you know, you heard about it the first time I've seen, that I think there's a video online, I believe it's actually Cody Wilson, um, with a printed metal AK-47. So a lot of the parts are plastic still, like the the magazine, um, you know, the the whole trigger assembly. But if you look at the barrel and the stock, most of it is metal. Okay. Or a metal composite. Right. So would a metal comp and I, this is just my pure ignorance, but would a metal composite set off an alarm? Yeah. Well, okay. yeah, because it still has metal in it. So pretty much what they do is they put. Imagine shaving a whole bunch of metal okay. and to the point where it's almost a dust. And okay. then, you know, what you do is you fuse it in with resin. So as the printer melts it and it's coming out of the, the uh, print head, as it comes out, it heats up to a point that it just becomes liquid 
and then re-solidifies like a, a second or two outside of the, um, the, the extruder. So as that's happening, you know, you're laying down pretty much shavings of metal and then refusing them together. And right now, I think it's really like the materials are already there that we want to build out of. We've we've already known what they they would possibly be. Now it's about really finding resins that can match the strength of those resources. You right. Know? So there is no resin right now that matches the strength of a metal. You know. So we that's really I think the race in my opinion. And now people are going from you know uh, the extruder type uh, type of print to like more of like a resin bat where it's like a giant tub full of resin. And it's just very focused lasers that are hitting it constantly. And it bakes it at a specific point um, up against the pad. So now they're printing things way more sturdy, way more durable, and way faster. And the accuracy of the printer head is is significantly better. Okay. Um, so you said earlier that you, you believed in the uh, freedom of information. Now, is there a line on that? Like, so intellectual property. Like, personally... I don't believe in intellectual property. I think that any of that's information, it's all out there. But when you have like a team of people who are making music or making a movie or writing a book, which, you know, as you know, I've written a couple. So knowing that somebody could just be out there pirating my book, I'm like, man, I want, you know, I want the 10 bucks for that. But at the same time, I also, I get it. Like what I did was I wrote a string of letters. Uh, I wrote a string of letters that are just out there and, that's not to say that that's my own private, that's not my own uh, personal information or my own uh, intellectual property. But if I can make money on it, great. If not, I kind of have to understand that people are just going to take it. Yeah, I mean, you decided to publish it, right? So right. it's out there. So, I mean, worst case scenario, let's say you don't want somebody to take it. It is your intellectual property. I can take each page, scan it, and still upload it to the internet. So right. either way, it's going to go... It's going to go one of two ways. I think that we can, um, you know, not to make a, I think a cliche reference when you think of like privacy or like uh, especially protecting intellectual property, but look at what happened with uh, Napster and Nirvana back in the day. Right. You know, that was really... It was Metallica. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, uh, Metallica. Yeah, it was super disparaging to Metallica, you know, because they came out, everyone kind of looked at them as like, whoa, you guys are like freaking out over this. That killed their album sales anyways. You know, then look at things like Game of Thrones. You know, how many people had HBO? I actually had a subscription right. for HBO versus watch that show, you know, right. and it was one of those things that if you if you try to block it, it's just going to create more demand. And we've seen that time and time again. The more, in, you know, an agency or a company tries to hide a mistake or you know hide something, the more people are going to work to try to free that. There will always be a hacker that's going to try to get your your season of a TV or you know a book that you've written or anything like that opened up. Right. And so I think that you can do way more as a brand. And I, I believe in this from a professional sense, like even running an agency where we create, you know, applications and we create pieces of software. You know, if you look at my GitHub or like Bob's GitHub, for instance, you know, we have a lot of open source stuff that if we build something cool, we try to put it out there and just say, like, hey, this is a little snippet that does one thing on a site. But if anyone ever or anyone else ever wants this, let's go ahead and do this because we'll get more you know, respect and more props for saying, like, hey, we put this out here. This is how we did it. We're helping other people. And then trying to direct some of that traffic to, hey, if you want to see more stuff that we've built that's kind of cool, go over to our blog and read some of our stuff. You know, either way, somebody could go reinvent that little piece of code. Um, so coming from my world, you know, it's really easy to just say, you know, it's smarter to open it up. I believe in open source software. Right. I also get the value from a business sense why people want to protect that. I just think that by trying to go against that, you're just going to make people want that information more. Um, I think that somebody will always try to work to open it up. So by, by embracing that community and trying to go after it and involve them in your product decisions or your future development, 
you can probably actually get way more out of it than just some followers or a listener or a reader. You can get people that are really feeling attached to your brand because you're trying to be so open with them. Right. Um, one of the best examples I have of that is uh, the guy, I, w- I don't remember his name. Um, he wrote, oh man, I just forgot the name of that book. It's also a movie. It stars Matt Damon. He's on Mars. Uh, Interstellar? No, 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 not that one. That was a different one with Matt Damon in space. We spend a lot of money to rescue Matt Damon from places. I know. Um, That's the real issue. That is the real issue. Uh, We could talk about that for hours easily. But, um, yeah. Uh, God, what is the name of that movie? I can't believe I forget this. But It's like on Mars, right? He's yeah. He's like in like a little hut, tries to grow something. Like yeah, he's growing, stuff in, he's growing stuff in uh, fertilizer he was making from his own yeah. fertilizer. Um, but, yeah, the guy that wrote that book, he gave away... He released one chapter at a time, and he was giving away each and every chapter up until the final chapter, and he charged 99 cents for the last chapter. And then, but he released it as an entire book when he released that last chapter for 99 cents. So everybody who had been reading it, they were already involved, they were already emotionally connected to this story, and so when he released the last chapter for 99 cents, in which you got a Kindle version or something like that for 99 cents, they were all like, "Yeah, absolutely. I gotta see." I'd love to support you because I'm already so attached exactly. to this. And I, I just want to. I want to give you back something after you've given me so much entertainment. Exactly, and that's the way I think you should embrace it. Yeah, and he, it became like a number one bestseller, and then Ridley Scott ended up directing the movie. I can't believe I remember all of that except for the except name. Except for the name. Except of the for the movie. name of yep. the movie. Um, but that was one of the most brilliant things I think I've ever seen, and I've actually considered doing that for some of my work, but. I want to get better at the online marketing. Yeah. Um, which marketing is a huge piece of that. If you're going to go that route, then marketing is definitely a huge piece of that. But you know, I think we can learn a lot from shitty SoundCloud rappers and DJs. You know, if you see what happens on SoundCloud, right? So, you know, you put your music out there, you put your, your, uh, album out there, your tracks out there. You know, if you were to just release an album and charge for it, you probably wouldn't get a following. But if you look through, you know, some of these EDM artists that really truly came up through like a SoundCloud kind of a thing, right? You know, they move over to a Patreon because they have enough followers. But you know, if you go back all the way to the beginning of their tracks, usually they're listening to a lot of critiques from people like, oh, you know, I like this, but you, you know, in this one part from this stage to this stage, I would edit like the whatever instrument or whatever sample, right? And you know, they're getting that feedback from the community because they're just putting it out there. You know, if I saw, if I had to go through iTunes still and buy music, 99 cents at a song, you know, I'd be way more reserved about who I branch out and try to listen to. Absolutely. So, you know, giving away, you know, music, I think was kind of the first issue in terms of, you know, intellectual property being stolen on the internet, um, to see how it's evolved for artists that get it and now give it away and offer to give it away more. Like one of the richest ra- uh, rappers from last year was Chance the Rapper. Chance the Rapper, yeah. And didn't charge anything for his album. Give right. it away. And, you know, there's there's something to be said for that. And that's because now everyone can listen to it. Everyone can talk about it. Everybody's heard it. Right. You know, you can make money off the tours. You can make money off merch. If somebody really loves it, you can go and still buy his album. But you can also just download it. And I, be- I believe, and don't quote me on this, but I believe that uh, Chance is unsigned still. Like, yep. I, b- I believe he's completely independent. Yep. Uh, and that's amazing what he has been able to do. Uh, I've got some friends that have a... Um, They've got a, I don't know enough about metal to be able to differentiate, but uh, the band's called Backwards. Um, And I got some friends who are in that band, and they're completely unsigned. They're doing everything all on their own. You do have to pay for their albums, but they do all of their marketing their own. They do all of, like, 
they're promoting themselves, they're booking everything themselves, they do everything themselves. And when they launched their uh, debut album, uh, they, I think they premiered it number one on Billboard, which for doing it all yourself without having the backing of a company is absolutely incredible. And a lot of it, I think, has to do with the way that they were doing the online marketing. They did a massive online marketing scheme where, well, not really a scheme, but a program, I guess, would be a better Well, mar- marketing is a scheme. You know? That's It's fair. a scheme to get attention and to get traffic to something that you want desired. It's right. a feeling or a product purchase. Yeah, I remember when their album came out, uh, when their album came out, they were hitting things that were uh, current in the news, and since I don't remember anything, it's like, um, we'll kind of try to update it to today, it's like, uh, Jesse Smollett made up uh, made up the, st- the story about the uh, hate crime, but you know what's not a crime? Our new album, Go Buy It Today. Stuff like that. Yeah. And... It, I mean, the stuff that they were putting out was funny, and it was engaging, and it convinced me to buy it. Like, I actually, I think that is the last CD I purchased, and it was the first one in quite some time. Just because, one, they're, you know, I know them, and they're friends of mine, but also, um, you know, they're, the marketing that they did on it was so good, and the, especially the online marketing was so good that I just had to purchase it, because they were just too funny not to buy it. Yeah. Um, so is there, you know, we all downloaded music at some point in our life and then things like, uh, Spotify and Apple music and those things, they've kind of taken it away where you don't really need to do that unless you're a tool like, you know, actually the band tool. Yeah. Um, is there a lot, like, is there a line here? Like movies, you got music, you got movies, you got uh, books, all of those I have definitely downloaded. Yeah. Not going to lie. But but they're making it easier to just buy it now. They are making it easier you to know, just buy it And uh, Spotify, for instance, you know, we would still be stealing music if Spotify wasn't so easy to just pay for. Right. And then I can download and take it on a plane when I don't have any service. I can right. listen to my favorite podcasts on Spotify, my favorite music. There's actually busy al- videos Almost now. all of your favorite podcasts. Almost all of them. But almost if you want to get on Spotify, I told you I can help you do that right. really easily. Right. Um, but you know the the moral of the story is that you know you have to make it an easier customer experience to just buy from you. And I think that people like Spotify saw, you know, people don't want to have to go buy like they don't care if they own that jacket or the disc anymore. Like no one even really has disc players anymore. So what what's the attachment to? There is no actual property, tangible good to hold. Even if I buy it on iTunes and I pay nine ninety nine for it, I still don't have a CD to hold. So because it's just digital data why not just offer a subscription to it and you just have all the stuff that you want? Right. And now I believe it's just more of seeing what services disrupt others. You know, we've seen Hulu come out of nowhere. You know, Hulu underpriced Netflix just by a little bit when they first launched. Very easily, like, I think Caught Up is a brand. They're definitely not Netflix. But, you know, they've caught up in terms of a large entertainment provider. Right. Uh, HBO saw, I think, the writing on the wall. They said, okay, well, we'll just go direct just with our channel's content, which was the first time a channel really did that. Right. And, you know, from there... And, and now, HBO Go is fantastic. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, actually, HBO Go works better on my devices than Netflix does. Right. It's just, like, no lack ever. And um, now we're even seeing cable companies where they're, all right, well, if you don't need a set-top box, like, if you're already doing it on the internet, we'll just let you log into our hub, which is just, like, our version of Netflix, and you can go through Bright House's content and watch it that way. Right. And it's funny, like, they'll call me and they'll say, you know, oh, we can get you 20 channels for... You know, for just twenty nine ninety nine a month, and I'm like, but I already have HBO Go, Netflix, and Hulu, 
and then I have Amazon Prime Video. So I really I see all the content that's relevant. Why do I need cable now? You know, I'd rather have microservices that fill all the niches that I need than exactly just pay you guys for for what you guys feel like serving up. Yeah, they uh like I get calls from uh, Spectrum constantly, and you know they're like, we can add so much to you know. You know, just for thirty bucks more a month, you can get live TV, and I'm like, I don't, I don't need live TV. I get yeah. all of my news from the internet because I'm going to get it faster, and I'm going to get it from the sources that I want to get it from, and I don't have to pick between MSNBC, CNN, or Fox. And they're like, well, you can watch these shows. I'm like, I can get all of those online. I can get them from Amazon Prime or Hulu or Netflix. And they said, well, you can watch them as soon as they come out. Yeah, I can do that anyway. Just yeah. Or I can just wait until the season, the next season's about to come out, which is what I typically end up doing anyway. Or, and then they try to hit me on live TV, and I'm like, don't need it because I've got the MLB package and the NFL package, and I've been able to do that without having Direct TV. And there is no reason for me to actually switch back to having cable. Huh. Like, I cut the cord. I don't know how many years ago, and I've never even, it's never been an issue for me. There's never been a time I was like, oh, I really wish. It's like the Oscars were on Sunday. Yeah. And I don't. Watch it the next day on YouTube. Right. You know, is it that big of a deal? Like you're not going to. You could probably you live stream it on YouTube, actually. I would be very surprised if that's not the case. You right. know, I'm not really a big Oscars person, but yeah, you know, I mean, assuming that you want to, I can guarantee you that one of the brands that were representing it or sponsoring it had a live stream up. Somebody had a live stream up. And. If it wasn't you, uh, YouTube, you know, very soon we're seeing things like Twitch that came out of nowhere. Very, very niche focused. It was just at gamers. So there will, I can guarantee you, maybe there will be a package for like, hey, just like the Emmys, the Oscars, the Grammys, like we have a award show package that's some private content provider. It might only be three or four guys with cameras and really good mics, but they're going to come in and they'll probably be able to do the same revenue for, you know, $2 a month. Right. Because they're only doing content, what, like four times a year, five times a year, unless you did like every event. Right. You know, four major events a year, but you're charging people $3 a month for that, where 10 months out of the year, you're not really doing anything. Right. You know, so I wouldn't be a bad gig. You no. make a lot of money. Oh, absolutely. It's just about finding SaaS. It's called SaaS software as a service, but it's really like taking that SaaS approach to software and applying it to content. And we can kind of micro, you know, cut it up and serve it to ourselves as we see fit. You know, let's say tomorrow the Boston Red Sox said, you know, hey, no more baseball guys. We decided to become a rugby team. You would probably not care anymore about baseball. I would, uh, yeah, you're right. I, yeah. would, I would not so care you, about baseball. You cancel your MLB package in a heartbeat yeah, and absolutely. never think twice about it, you know? Yeah. Uh, would honestly, not be an issue. Yeah. So the fact that you can do that now and you're not locked into this contract and you don't have all the equipment in your house that you have to, like, mail back. But I remember when I cut the cord, like, Two three months later, I get a bill for like one hundred and seventy five dollars because I didn't, re, you know, return, you didn't the, return box. the set top. And I was like, man, like, you know, there's Raspberry Pi, like little computers are more like powerful than the chipset you have in here. There's not, there's probably not thirty five dollars of any component in here, let alone one hundred and seventy. Right. And so, you know, I, obviously I took it back, but like things like that and that that ball and chain, if you would, I think is exactly what did services like that in. I I one hundred percent agree. The fact like with cable. You gave me 190 channels, we'll say. And I watched four of them. You know, I watched Comedy Central, TNT, ESPN, and one of the news channels, which, you know, whichever one I was leaning more towards that week. And that was, that was it. Like, I did not need Lifetime or Wow or Hallmark or anything else. Bravo. We should know. watch a Hallmark movie together sometime. Oh, absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Uh, Maggie Lawson apparently 
from Psych, which I love the show Psych. But Maggie Lawson apparently does a lot of them now. Hmm. They're so, they're filming a Hallmark movie uh, in St. Pete. I just saw. Are they really? Yeah, I saw uh, over near the Regents Bank and like Bar Five Four Eight, like that little corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like right over there, they're they're filming it. So maybe she's there. You should oh. you should check it out. I'll swing by. Uh, I know she was recently divorced, so okay. Well, know, that's perfect. That's good odds, yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, all we man you. Right, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but like when it comes to when it comes to downloading, so years ago. When the, when the Napster and uh, Kazaa thing was going on, Kazaa, 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 yeah. when they when they were big, uh, there were the ads that were going out, and it had a picture of uh, of a USB plug. I don't know why you went like this. I thought you were gonna say dick pills. Yeah, dick pills. <laughs> um, but a USB plug with a USB drive in it, and it said yeah. you wouldn't download a house. And immediately back then, I went, "Fuck yeah, I would." Why wouldn't I? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the file would be huge, and the computer I had back then would not have been able to support it. But, yeah, why not? Like, what would be the issue with it? If you can feasibly make it where you could download the plans for a house and then 3D print that thing, there is no reason not to do it. And they're doing that now. They are you doing know, as you As I'm sure you've heard. And, you know, they have the... That's why I really wanted to call you wouldn't download a car. Like, yeah, we all would. We would rather not have to go buy a car from somebody. And... Right. You know, now they're actually, so there's a company that uh, we practice agile software development at Bobsey, and it's kind of a, a methodology of like failing fast and succeeding, su- succeeding fast because you don't waste time planning out the entire idea. You start and you have incremental updates, incremental implementations and milestones that you set for yourself. And you're always willing to like turn on a pivot and say, is there a better way to do this? Thank God we didn't go all the way down this planning way. Six months planning out a product just as all of a sudden have a completely new direction that now we're planning all the way back out. Right. Um, so there's a guy who actually applied that principle, the agile principle, to build, building cars. And he uses 3D printing. And not only is it... So he's putting together a car about five times faster than Tesla. And to the point that Elon Musk actually went and said, okay, you know, I want to come and learn pretty much how are you guys doing this. And a couple different things that they did is they opened up some of the designs to the community and say like, Hey, like if you guys are at home, if you guys are doing this, if you're, if you're maybe just into tires, you work at a tire like shop, take a look at our files. Like, is there a better way that we could be doing this? And they started getting feedback from people and started getting ideas. And, you know, some of them are, you know, weekend, you know, car guys that work on their car in their garage, but they just know that they would really like if that bolt was over here because I'd never reach that with my wrench. I'd have to go to the store and like buy an extension that's too far away. Right. No, I'm using that, that as an example. But no, I get it. They took open source feedback into building this car, and by using 3D printing and, you know, some would say cutting corners, but what they're doing is they're making a car that is about 30 to 40% cheaper to own, you know, equally as fast, equally as durable at the end of the day, and eventually, not right now, but eventually it's something that we will all be able to make in our house. And, like, I would much rather have that than have to go buy a name brand car. And then later on, people will release customizations that, let's say I wanted to say, you know, not right now you can't, but let's say down the road you could print in like some kind of like a fake leather or something like that. You know, okay, I want leather seats for the car, so let me print some of these seats. You know, that, that kind of a thing will eventually come, and I'll pay for those upgrades because I'll say, you know, I don't want the base model. I'd rather have this upgrade. Right. And I'll do it. And, you know, I think that's the natural progression of things. But, yeah, we'd all download a house. We'd all download a car. Oh, absolutely. The three-bedroom house that they're printing in Australia right now is $18,000. Really? So. Is that yeah, Australian dollars or is that American dollars? That's Australian dollars. Okay. And I don't know what the equation is in all either. fairness. But, you know, it can't be that much. Right. And it's one of those things that for a three-bedroom house, 
it's made from pretty much solid stone. It's 3D printing cement, pretty much, is the way it works. It uses the same methodology of uh, pretty much graphing. So it's saying move from this coordinate over to this coordinate, now start moving this way, have this kind of curve, that kind of a thing. But as you're laying down these layers down, that's solid concrete home. You know, especially in a hurricane-prone uh, state, I could think of worse things than having a solid concrete home. No, absolutely. You know, and if it's about $180,000 cheaper for the same concrete home to be 3D printed instead of, you know, built by 20 guys who probably won't care and they have their own shit going on, so they're not even going to work that hard. They're just trying to go home and get a paycheck. You know, the 3D printer will just work 24 hours a day until it prints my house and the rest of the subdivision. Right, which, you know, the, the people who are building it are going to complain, well, the... 3D printer won't until you know unless it breaks and but in that case you just fix it and then you and then it's back. Yeah. Like there was an issue that um, everybody knows that like, the fifteen uh, the fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage thing they're saying that it's costing people jobs. Of course. Um, which yeah, of course. One of the new ones that they're doing, and as much as I hate seeing a person lose their job, this is great. Uh, one of the new ones they're doing is that people have been replaced as the drive-thru attendant. Okay. So if you go through a fast food restaurant and you order, you're talking to an AI as opposed to an actual person yeah. who may be hungover or pissed off or you know, just not completely there or stoned based on most of my experiences. And instead, you're going to be dealing with an AI. They're going to get your order exactly right, and then it's going to be basically on the people making it unless they start having robots make that too. Um... I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, though. I don't think there is anything. You know, I, th I think that, and I, I don't mean to cut you off. I don't no, no, you're... Right. But, you know, like, the, you know, the problem is, at least to me, with, like, $15 an hour minimum wage, I think, to me, the real problem is that, you know, by asking for something that really, like, that work doesn't, it doesn't deserve. If you're literally just sitting there flipping a burger, and that's all you're doing, and you're not doing it even statistically, like... I would say 80% accuracy that you're always messing something. I, I get, I remember when I used to eat meat and I'd go buy McDonald's or Wendy's or whatever. My orders would always be messed up. Always. So you're asking for somebody that like perform faster, sweat more, work over a hotter fryer so we can fry more fries faster. Like, that's not a good quality of life. The, the problem is that those are the jobs that are left. And because there's no kind of support, there's no kind of, um, system in place like we are we're all attached to our value in life is equal to what we make right you know and i think that you know some people agree with the ubi some people don't agree with the ubi but you know if we could automate society to the point that we can all produce and have enough left over that like no one's no one's having to necessarily do that shit job anymore i don't think anyone wants to do that we're doing that because we have to get by but if right. we were to do that you know if you if you get success and you get money and then you you find like worldly success like What's crazy is if you bet your entire happiness on that, you end up becoming de incredibly depressed because you realize that there's not really a lot to it. And then once you have that, you're like, okay, now I'm still hollow as fuck. I haven't dealt with all these issues I've, I've created to get here. Now my life is still worth nothing. So it's not a problem that's going like, to feel better later on. The problem is that we're also attached to the worldly dollar amount in my bank account and what I own and the car that I drive and the house that I have, it dictates the kind of person I am. Right. And I think that the sooner we let go of that attachment to our income is our value as a human being. You know, if, if let's say you wanted to paint, let's say you wanted to be, you know, Matt Wright, the famous finger painter, you know, if that's what you want to that, do. That would be about the right kind of finger, the right kind of painting that I could do is the finger <laughs> painting kind. And, but let's say that's what you wanted to do your whole life. You know, if that's what you could now go do because you weren't forced to have this job that you, you fucking hated, fine. There will still be those competitive people that want to go out and do more. There will still be those people that want to go out and do, 
you know, something more than, than the baseline. And they will probably get rewarded more for it. But if you're okay with just kind of coasting by and chilling, there's no reason anybody should have to be flipping that hamburger. We've automated ourselves past that. Like we're making incredible AI decisions now, business decisions, uh, international, you know, international trades are being ran by automations that if done wrong could ruin an economy by trading the wrong way. Right. And we're betting so much on that. that like, why should a human being have to cook that 10, that 10, 15 burgers a minute and put them all in wrappers. If we can make a robot to do that, like, great. Like, the problem is that that person needs that job. And with costs and with, like, the pay gaps that, that are occurring and, you know, just growing more, that's just going to become a bigger and bigger issue. Because after that, you know, as we replace the that kind of a worker, everyone gets more, you know, decon, deconditioned, desensitized to having, you know, a robot experience. How long until a server doesn't have to be a human being? Right. How long until, you know, your bartender doesn't have to be a human being? And we'd all save money, but we'd all be saving money, and that person wouldn't be having a job and then not contributing to the economy, so then we would all be kind of screwed, unless it was something that we just said, maybe there's a different way to reevaluate how a person should live. It maybe isn't based off how much they make. Maybe it's about their contribution to society. Have they solved any big problems? Do they volunteer within their community? And then maybe we give them a bigger house because they do more to help others out. Well, I I'm mean, not trying to go like super socialist. Yeah, I was going to say, like, man, you know. you, I was like you were kind of riding the line and then I'm at sorry. the end you just kind of shot right on over. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, in, in, the, in the free market, which, you know, as you know, I'm a huge fan of the free market. Um, in the free market, yeah, the harder you work, the more money you're going to make, especially if they're, like... If you're not being held back by governmental regulations or by uh, crony crony capitalists, which that is one of the issues that we have here. One of the biggest issues that we have on um, smaller businesses making it are the regulations that are being put in place by the larger companies, by your publics, by your uh, Walmarts and Targets, which makes it harder for smaller stores that are trying to kind of emulate that in order to build up. Um, if you were to get rid of these regulations... Uh, that would easily open up the door for much more employment. And when it comes to, say, serving or bartending or things like that, as a restaurant, you would then be able to charge a premium for, for the human engagement. For the human engagement. So, yeah, you would go to, I don't know, um, IHOP, and you would probably get an AI. An AI. Uh, you would probably get an AI. Uh, at like an IHOP or I, for some reason immediately I thought Johnny Rockets and then I've thought I've never actually been to a Johnny Rockets so I have no idea but if you were to go to one of the higher end places like a Ruth's Chris or yeah. um, even any of the small mom and pop places around here like you're going to get the human engagement because that is part of the entire feel of the restaurant um, but yeah at some of the like McDonald's would be completely AI it would be completely yeah. automated um, maybe they would have healthier hamburgers because they're not spending all their money on labor costs now. They're just maintaining a fleet. Right. You know? They're just so, maintaining a mechanical like you would fleet. Hope that that's what they would do. But. Uh, theoretically. But, I mean, it's McDonald's and they would probably just yeah, try probably to save money. Right. They would just continue to try to save money and still charge me, you know, a dollar ten for a burger or whatever it is. Um, no, it's crazy that you get a whole burger that cheap. Right. It costs more for a salad than it does a burger. Um, that's because that burger is not real. But, you know, I don't care. It tastes delicious at 2 a.m. Well, we, won't, we won't get into that. You know, I'm vegan. I know. I'll just, yeah. No, we'll, no. we'll leave that one here. That's fine. Um, but all in all, 
all in all, uh, even as things move forward, as AI moves forward and jobs start kind of going away because of AI, it will also um, expand different industries, which will then create a demand for new employees in order to help out there. So those people will be able to find le not lesser work, but mm -hmm. they'll be able to find work in different industries. It's just nobody has thought of them yet because we haven't reached that point. We haven't needed them yet. You know, right. data science is an awesome rule that you know, on the software marketing side, you can go in and become a data analyst and out of school make 180K. A lot of companies are looking for six to eight years of experience. But the problem is, like, the level of data science that's available now wasn't really around six to eight years ago. Right. So that's, it's impossible to have that kind, of, that kind of experience, but people are flying through it and I'm sure fudging their resumes a little bit just so they like, meet whatever requirements. They all apply. They know it, you know, and... People saw a new need for a new level of analysis and business decisions and data thanks to AI and thanks to supercomputers being able to help us with some of this stuff. And because of that, a completely new role, a new job, and a very high-paying role at that was now created. You know, I think that um, a really good example for me is um, landscaping. You know, I have a good friend of mine that's a landscaper. I think you probably know who I'm talking about. Yeah, he's a dick. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I like the guy. He's a dick, though. But yeah, he's yeah, a dick. I like the guy, too. I like the guy a lot. But it's because I can say that about him without him getting upset. Oh, yeah, he'll tell you you're a dick. Yeah, right. he'll tell you you're a dick, too. I mean, he just thinks everyone's a dick, but he acts like one. Right. But here's the thing, man, is that, you know, like, so him and I have talked about this. And it's like, all right, so let's say I go out to Home Depot. I can go buy the Home Light Edition autonomous Roomba for my yard. It will mow the grass. Right. You know, he will not have to employ, you know, five, six guys to go and help him cut the grass. But what he'll do is he'll go buy the still or like the higher version of the edging robot, the mower robot, the leaf blower robot, the tree trimming bot, you know, so on and so forth. And he'll have a fleet that maybe he drives, maybe he doesn't drive on his own to those locations and drops them off. But because he makes a higher end investment and he's going beyond that baseline, he will find more success. There will be people that say, I'd rather hire the landscaper to bring all his nice robots here than me just go buy this little $300 garden Roomba that gets stuck in the corner every other three days because it's cheaply made. Right. You know, there will still be people that excel past that baseline. But at the end of the day, we are definitely moving to a, an era where, you know, to get a human experience will be a luxury one. You know, if you go into a restaurant and you have, you know, it will be the white glove treatment, if you would, to Pretty have much. all human staff. And that will be something that we as other human beings, we seek out. And there will be time we want the super cheap but also very, very upscale burger because they don't have all the overhead costs, so they have a higher quality product out the door. But then we'll, there will also be times where, you know, I, I really want to go to like one of those old school style, you know, mom and pop restaurants where there's actually a mom and pop to reference, you know. Right. And we can go in there and, and have that experience. And it will probably be similarly priced, but we're paying for that experience, not probably for the quality of the food or the accuracy or consistency. Exactly. And, I mean, in many, like... The higher end restaurants will be the last ones to break. You're still going to get yeah. the quality, and you're going to get and and you're going to get the human experience. They will be the last ones to break if they ever do. Which I mean, they will over the course of over the course of time. All things will happen. Of course. Um, but like your Ruth's Chris and your uh, the steakhouse in Tampa that I can't think of the name of um, Burns. Burns. Um, the Martian. That's the name of that movie. Oh, um, you're gonna roll now. All right. Um, <laughs> But yeah, like Burn Steakhouse or Ruth's Chris or anything like that, they'll be the last ones to break. Yeah. And you're still going to get that high-quality food because that's what they're known for. But you're also going to get the human experience for the longest amount of time possible uh, because that's just part of the entire experience of going to these places. Um, so I don't see that. 
I, I, I see that changing in again, like your your chain your chain lower rest, lower end restaurants, like your IHOPs or your like definitely fast food, but like and the sit down ones, your IHOPs and your uh, Bob Evans and things things along those lines. But as far as the higher end, that's going to take a really long time. And the mom and pops will never make that switch because it'll just be too expensive. Well, they will eventually, but it's going to be too expensive starting out. So and- well, it's going to be like the Made in America sticker to me. You know, that's the way I look at it. Like, so, you know, like there's a reason that the FTC slaps a huge, huge fine at you. If you say Made in America, it's not because, you know, there's a certain pride with that, but there's also a certain value right. that comes from saying like, all right, this product was made in America. I expect a higher quality manufacturing a higher quality of customer service because of that one little stamp in the corner of the box. And that's worth a lot of money if it's true, you know? And I think that that's, what's going to end up happening in terms of looking at, you know, like a human experience, you know, it will say like made by, made by a human being, you know, touched with human hands. Maybe it will be the, the marketing slogan. I should copyright that, but, yeah, um, um, you know, I don't, I, I don't know, but like literally dude, like the, that process will be something that we look to and we're like, oh man, this is a really nice leather wallet. Oh wow, it was handmade by a human being. Right. That's really cool. Like That's a different level of artisanship we're not used to anymore. And that will be something that we value. But it will be a luxury experience only for the rich. Like paper books is another thing that I see. I totally see that. Like having paper physical books will be something that only rich people have. I don't know. Uh, on that one, I'm not 100% sure because initially when uh, Kindle came out mm. and like we'll say around the third generation of Kindle. Like electronic book sales, ebooks were just soaring. And then over the last couple of years they've dipped off in reg in physical books, physical copies of books has started going back up. Mm. I really think that physical copies of books has such not really a nostalgic purpose. It is. I that but I also think people prefer seeing the actual progress you're making by reading a book. Like, yeah, you got the little bar on the bottom of your Kindle saying, you know, you're this far, this, you know, you're 2%, 4%, 6%, whatever. Um, but I think people prefer feeling it in their hands and seeing it. I don't think that'll change. I disagree with you. I, okay. I, 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 think, you're, I think you're an old man, man. Like, no, I, I'm being serious. <laughs> no, I get it. I, I get myself, it. Well, like, we, we weren't born when the first iPhone came out. And like one of the things I see this like from marketing, you know, we have a couple clients. One is a huge children's entertainment um, channel. Um, these people aim from eight to twelve year old uh, content, and that's right. their demographic. And you got to understand that like there are kids walking this earth right now, turning eighteen this year, that weren't alive when nine eleven happened. Right. You know, like like that. That's a long time. And like we've had an iPhone, we've had so much stuff happen since then. But like now we have kids that they grew they grew up with a screen. They grew up in like an iPad was just that's something that existed. Like we knew we know a car, you know. And for kids like that that don't have that nostalgia attachment to books they're, they're going to look at it as just a hindrance of like why do I have to carry if I can carry it on my phone and I already I feel that way you know I, I love a good like book and there's certain books that I love so much that I buy it just to support it, the right. guy or a gal who wrote it but I mean I'll be honest man I listen to I read two to three books a month I listen to probably about six like when most people say oh I, you know I bump music in the car I was on a nice drive I listened to the new album by so and so you know, I listen to ebooks. I right. look at it as an opportunity to learn or to grow my business or to learn a new skill set or to learn, you know, to just be taking in information and I wanna I wanna seize that opportunity. But back in the day, like I you wouldn't be able to do that. I'd listen to podcasts back in the day, but before Audible, like 
No, man. Like I, I'd maybe do two to three books a month max because that's what I could physically take the time to read. Now yeah. I can listen to it all day. No, that's fair. Like I, I remember listening to audio books on CD driving around. Um, not many because they weren't as distributed, right? Or and, as cheap. Or as cheap. But yeah, nowadays with Audible, it's like there's just every book ever seems to be on Audible. I pay twenty four dollars for three credits a month, so I get three books. So the way it works is I get a book. For myself, my wife gets a book. For it almost herself. sounds like we're just like sponsoring Audible at this point. <laughs> this, this podcast is brought to you. No, we right. won't give them that, that free credit. But um, right. so the you know it's it's one of those. Like, I'll take a personal book. My wife takes a personal book, and then we pick one that we'll both agree on that kind of matches something for our business or like a, being a better manager or being a better owner or being better at finance or being better at you know whatever skill we're trying to grow as business owners. We'll take that third book for a professional book. But for twenty four dollars, you can't buy three three actual books, right? You know, so I mean, the freedom the the freedom to browse, the freedom to find books that are super obscure that like most likely you may or may not ever see in print again unless you go to like a Haslam's, like a used bookstore. Right, right. You know, you can go on you can go on Amazon and find it for sure, and you can probably find it in five to six different languages easily. So yeah. you know, I think that with the lack of nostalgia and attachment to the physical you know paper. I think that we're going to just see it go further and further into, I think that literally it will be old timers and by old timers, I mean us like we'll, we'll be in our eighties or nineties at that point, or it will be super, super successful or rich younger people that say like, Oh, I want to own books because they are, they are harder to find. And it will almost become, you know, will there still be, um, you know, Moby Dick? Yeah, there will still be Moby Dick probably printed at, at quite a few places. But like things that aren't classics will become almost collectible because they won't be in print anymore. And it may or may not be an option to get it printed. So it'll be like vinyl for today. Yes, exactly. Okay. And the hipsters that are into it will, will go, they'll get vinyl. And then when it becomes a little more mainstream, maybe some people start pressing vinyls again. But let's be honest, the vinyl industry hasn't come back. You know, no, it's, I, it's definitely not. Spotify, if you want to see a company go from, you know, zero to multi billion dollar evaluation, a vinyl company won't do that. So right. that's the future, and that's what that's what people want. So that's what the market will do. And I mean, I obviously for anybody who who just watched this show, like I've got a typewriter and an old school phone here. I obviously have a vinyl player and this lots of them. Uh, that one doesn't. I do have one that does. Okay. Um, I like that. Yeah, yeah. That one's. I don't know what happened to that one. It broke, but I do have one that does. Um, the only reason I had a phone line at this house was just to find out if that phone worked. Really? Yeah. Okay. And then it did, and. The only people that called me were telemarketers, so I turned off that phone line. But that phone still works. Um, so uh, we're almost out of time, but uh, earlier we said crypto enthusiasts. Yep. Uh, any tips for any tips for the people watching, listening? Yeah, hold on. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, crypto. Um, you know, crypto was huge in like 2017. You know, that's mm-hmm. when we saw like the great run. That was the 20,000, like almost 20,000 yep, Bitcoin. Yep. And, um, you know, and right now I think we're sitting at like 3.3 right now, 3.3,000. Um, we actually just had a pretty big dip today that kind of replaced all the traction that we've gained over the last like couple of weeks. But, you know, it's one of those things that, um, you know, cryptocurrency. So cryptocurrency is two different things, right? Everyone really knows about it as a currency. And as you know, uh, Matt Wright, a lot of people obviously watching this don't. You know, when crypto was blowing up, I really tried to figure out, okay, so how can I value my time? How can I make sure that I'm being like, okay, fairly, you know, fairly compensated. But at the same time, how can I give people access to this information that's up here without going through the whole process of like really trying to set up a deep like like pretty much writing a book you know and i yeah. even thought about doing like a ghost writing of a book like contacting a ghost writer and 
I, you know, I just, I didn't feel like I'd have the time. So I felt like, okay, it will be easier if I just grab giant groups of people that I really want to like try to help out. Uh, you know, the first couple of classes I charged $5 a ticket and I had all these people come in and I tried to teach them about cryptocurrency. And the number one thing that I tried to drill into their head was it's not about the coin. You know, we don't need currency to replace currency. That's not the problem. What we need is currency to not be backed because someone else said it's backed by something. Right. And, you know, not to get too deep into that, that side of the conversation, but, you know, the benefit of cryptocurrency is that a lot of these coins are backed by business and they're backed by business use cases. Like uh, XRP, for instance, Ripple is backed by allowing international banks to send millions, billions, or just a couple of dollars, regardless of how much, literally instantly across the world and have it get into that account and be spendable within a couple minutes. You know, banks can't do that. So I invested pretty heavily in Ripple because I saw the business value there. And a lot of these coins that came out, for people that understood traditional finance, understood enterprise business, understood um, cryptocurrency and cryptography and cybersecurity, if you had that like lucky mecca, um, you know, I feel I feel really blessed to like naturally kind of be into many of those, and I think that's why I was easily like easily um, successful, just because of the fact that I could do okay. Let me look at the business. Let me look at their branding. How's their marketing? Let me look at the cybersecurity aspect. Let me check their code. How how secure is their blockchain? There were multiple different angles that helped me help me succeed. But the one thing I always told people is, if you want a really easy thing to look at and figure out if you should invest into this coin, pretty much ask yourself three questions. Like, will it disrupt an industry? Like, if that if that comes out, will it disrupt a ACH banking transfers as we know it? Will that change international banking as we know it? Yeah, Ripple did. The second one is. Do people have a need for it? Because like, okay, you know, we could come out with table coin and completely disrupt the table industry. And now you can go to Ikea, you can go to, you know, any furniture store and buy a, buy a table with table coin. But do we need it? Like, I don't give it, I don't care how I pay for my table. It's right. not that big of a deal. But when it comes to, you know, banking, I pay a huge, huge fee to send more and more money overseas if I want to send it to someone. So if all of a sudden, you know, I can send you... $20 million in Ethereum, or I can send you $20 in Ethereum, and the fee for how much I send you is going to be about $0.08, cents, regardless of the amount. Regardless of the amount? Regardless of the amount. Okay. I mean, that's it's different based off what coin you send, right. but the amount that you're sending to that person doesn't impact what the transaction fee, the TX fee, is for that transfer. Is there a need for that? Absolutely. So that's question number two. Question number three is, would people benefit from it? You know, because if people... If they need it, that's fine. But if it's something that people wouldn't really benefit from, then we probably don't care. You know, it'd be way better to have better ways of tracking people who had like prior felonies or prior um, convictions for like uh, aggressive or um, violent crimes. But would it really benefit all of us to have like this blockchain that just tracked these people and kept track of these people? Like, not really. We already have that with GPS. Like, so we don't, you know, it wouldn't really benefit us. So we probably aren't going to be that eager to champion it and try to adapt it. And with those three questions, I was able to find, at least in 2017, every single uh, coin that I suggested buying, the predictions that I set for where I thought that they would end up were pretty much dead on. And the few times that I was wrong, I was wrong in, hey, I think it's going to stop here and it ends up going up here. You know, I was never, I was very cautious of what I put my, my money into, what I helped my friends, community members put their money into. But more importantly, I really wanted to teach people, this is how you research this. Because it's not just saying, oh, I want to trade my money for this money. And it's like playing Monopoly. You put it there and all of a sudden you're rich. It's not that simple. you got to make sure you're investing in solid projects. Right. And a lot of people got burned 
buying really shitty projects. You know, DJ Khaled is getting sued right now for backing a coin that he got paid in. He had no idea what he was talking about. He just backed it because he's an influencer. And, you know, and SEC world, that would be like big time illegal. You know, he'd get in a lot of trouble for doing that or not disclosing that he didn't have shares of it. But cryptocurrency was so new, there was no regulation. And people took advantage of that. People who didn't do due diligence got hurt. And when those you know tabs started getting tallied and people started realizing, oh shit, I got tricked by a Facebook ad into buying this coin that they're saying that they're gonna put this cat on the moon. I don't know why I thought I was gonna get money from a cat going on the moon in the first place, but somehow that seemed like a good thing But for thing some to buy. reason I did. This dude on Facebook said it was gonna make me a millionaire and if I didn't do it now, I was, I was missing out. No, you got socially engineered into giving that guy money and he traded it all back to Ethereum. Right. But enough of that happened that I think there was a little bit of backlash. And so people now realize that there's some kind of uh, use case behind these coins. But people who don't have that skill set don't really know how to go and research that. So I think it's one of those things that to see crypto go back up again, what we need to see is some of the projects that were started in that that hype era. We need to see them be fully realized, come out, be vetted, be implemented by either governments or by large banks and Ripple's case or like IOTA, you know, the Bank of Japan, the Japanese election, even their parking meters are all about to be ran on IOTA's blockchain. IOTA is going to be super valuable. Right. You know, but we have to see these projects come into fruition and actually be utilized for people to get that faith back. And I think when it comes back, it won't be nearly as fast or as aggressive of a climb because we'll know that it's here to stay. You know, IOTA's all, distributed all throughout Japan, all of their public infrastructure that government mandates or government oversees. If it's running IOTA for the parking meters and the soda machines and, you know, whatever, you know, should I invest in it right now? Or like, it's probably not going to move that quickly. It will probably stay pretty close to what the yen is until other countries start jumping on the network. Right. So should I invest in it? Maybe not. Maybe there will be something a little more cutting edge, a little more risky that makes more sense. But if I was... You know, 23 years old and I was at my first, you know, year of a very long, you know, corporate career at a government agency or something like that. And I knew I was going to have 401k. But I say, hey, you know, if I threw 20 bucks a month until IOTA and I just let as governments picked it up for their voting and public infrastructure management, you know, I'll slowly make more money. But by the time I'm 65 and retiring, that will be like this nice little IRA account. Like, yeah, I'd probably be a really safe one to invest in because, you know, it's probably not going anywhere if it's backed by all these different, you know, infrastructure points. So, yeah, I uh, I bought Ripple at the peak and I put in a significant amount of money for me at the time and then it dropped. I think it's like four cents now, five cents. I check. I don't check often anymore. No, I think it's like 25 cents right now. Is it? Yeah. Woohoo. Profit. So, definitely not like the 450, I think, that you... Uh, you probably bought it. If, if you bought it at the peak, I believe it peaked at like four sixty something. Oh no, I didn't buy that high. I bought much lower than that. Okay. Like normally when I was checking it out, it was um, so I bought it at like sixteen cents, I think, like that. Okay, Very and then cool. Very cool. and then it dropped down to like three, and I was like, yeah, it was low for a little bit. Yeah, I was like, okay, that's cool. But yeah, if it's if it's up there, great. Yeah, I mean, I bought some Bitcoin at eighteen dollars. I was told it would never go to 500. I was told it would never go to 1,000. It would never go to 1,000. A week after it went to 1,000, people said, there's no way in hell we're hitting 5K next year. You guys are crazy. It was 5K like a few like weeks to a month yeah. later. So, you know, it's one of those things that it can fluctuate really quick, you know. And um, like Ripple, for instance, I think I bought it like 3 cents, 4 cents. Neo, which is, you know, one that last year went up to $187 a share. 
I bought mine for $2.15 a share when it was still called Ant Shares. ANS was the trading symbol. Before it even turned into NEO and got rebranded. Um, but it's because I looked at the project, I looked at the technology, I looked at what they were trying to do, and I looked at the business use case for if we needed it, the three questions I just mentioned a few minutes ago. Right. And I said, hell yeah, like, this is going to make a big impact. I need to buy this. And I didn't know that they would rebrand. I didn't know that they would change everything about their logo. I didn't know that they would do a lot of the things that they did. But I didn't just go out there and buy it because someone told me. I looked into the company. I saw the value. And right. so when that went up to $180, I sold a lot of them. You know, and... Yeah, you just you just have to do your due diligence. I mean, you wouldn't just go in the stock market and be like, "Oh, that's a cool looking symbol. I like that. Like that's you know right, synergy right. of letters together. Let me throw you know my entire life into that." Like, no, that's stupid. And there were people out here, you know, taking out a mortgage, you know, a second mortgage against their home or an epoch loan, like doing crazy, crazy shit. You know, I don't know if you swear on here, but like crazy <laughs> shit. And it's, it's been more and more on this show a little bit more recently, but it's fine. All care. right, well, my, my bad. PG thirteen. No, you're good. You know, you're like there, people were betting their life. And, like, I, that's one thing I'd always tell people is, like, man, like, if you're sitting here debating, like, dude, I don't really know, like, should I throw this last 10K that I have in there? Like, if that's your last 10K that you have in your bank account, like, no. Like, use that to, like, grow it back up, get a nest, and maybe take a 1,000 of that so you still have something to fall back on. Put a 1,000 in. Like, if you really think it's going to be that successful and you'll be that good at it, you should be able to turn a 1,000 into 5,000. And in that time frame, you'll have more money saved up, so then you can put in that 5,000. Right. You know, leave it in there and just keep growing it. But, unfortunately, people will, you know, everyone wants to get further in life or make more money or have a nicer job or do something without having to do anything. And, you know, if you're going to invest your money and just hope to get rich and you don't think that you should do your own due diligence to do your own research and make your own intelligent decision, like someone has to lose in the market for me to win. Right. You know? So it's like, it's one of those things like, okay, you know, I'll take it. Like that, that's your bad. Like no one, no one's going to hold your hand through, through a lot of life. Yeah. I don't think that investing is any different. I and mean, that's like, that's like when playing poker, there's always going to be that one person that isn't as good as everybody else at the table. And that's because they didn't, they haven't played as long. They didn't study as much. They don't know what the odds are or anything like that. Um, but so if those guys go out and tell you to go to the ATM and let's ante the game from $20 to $100. That poker player should probably say like, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing. Like, right. I shouldn't, I shouldn't do this. I think that was the biggest issue that we saw in 2017 is people were, you know, I, I know people that tried to sell their car. They were trying to sell like, their belongings just so they could buy more to ride more of the wave. And in reality, they didn't even know what to buy. Right. If it wasn't for me trying to help them, you know, they would have they would have probably lost a lot. Right. So. Well, yeah. I mean, we're we're not way over time, but we're over time, which is all good because it doesn't really matter because it's a podcast. Boom. But um, if you want to pitch everything that you want to pitch, pitch it and. Uh, then I'll do my outro, and then we'll do whatever we want after this, because it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I would say, um, I don't know. I mean, uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's uh, Matt Parks Tweets. If you want to follow me on Instagram, it's fstopmatt. Uh, Facebook is the Matthew Parks is my uh, public profile. That is uh, my more business-related one. Um, other than that, I would say if you guys really enjoyed some of the things that we've talked about today, like please go check out the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation. They are seriously, seriously out here advocating for online privacy rights and protecting our information. And that means protecting it for people who don't understand what privacy necessarily is. Um, but I promise you, or at least, you know, hey, how about you go do your own due diligence? They really, really are out here looking out for everybody's best interests. If I could plug one thing, I would say please go check out their site and consider making a donation to protect our privacy of tomorrow. Beautiful. And for everybody else, uh, next week 
We have all new episodes of the Muddied Waters of Freedom, of My Fellow Americans, and of uh, the Writer's Block. And I believe that next week, I've got to do math in my head, 24, 30. Yeah, I believe that next week is the beginning of uh, Mr. America, the Bearded Truth, coming to uh, Muddied Waters Media. So we are going to have shows Monday through Friday for all of you out there. Uh, so definitely looking forward to that. And you can find all of those at facebook.com slash muddied waters of freedom on Instagram at muddied waters of freedom on Twitter at muddied underscore waters. And you can find this in every other episode at muddied waters of freedom.com, which is hosted by him. Um, so go check all of that stuff out. We will see you guys next week. And, uh,